If I were to say to you the word king outside the context of tonight, what would it bring to mind? Splendor. Splendor. Leadership. Leadership. Power. Power. Yeah. Authority. Authority. Fantastic word, that one. And the criteria, and, and then we talk about who as well. I mean, maybe you'd think of historic kings of England, Richard the Lionheart or king, fictional King Arthur. Maybe you'd think of our future kings. Um, Prince Charles will likely be one day King Charles and uh, Prince William, likely King William. Maybe you know of, there are actually you know, some present kings. There's um, King Juan Carlos of Spain, um, who gained a bit of um, publicity in, 20, in 2012. He's the, um, he's the King of Spain. He's the, also the honorary, or was the honorary president of the Spanish World Wildlife Fund until in 2012 when pictures were published of him on an elephant hunt um, in Botswana. Didn't go down too well, and he ended that role. Um, if we widen our concept of a little bit much more, we also, yes, as we said, we think of authority figures in the world. So we might think of President Assad of Syria, President Obama, or perhaps even David Cameron. Or maybe we think of institutions like the police or the church. At the end of the day, how much do we, though, trust those in authority? First of all, we're going to watch a clip from a film. It's from the 2010 version of Robin Hood um, starring Russell Crowe. I must point out before it plays um, that he seems to have a very peculiar accent. I don't know if anyone's seen this film. Um, A BBC reporter said it gave him the impression that Robin Hood was an Irishman who took frequent holidays in Australia. Unfortunately, he said this to Russell Crowe in an interview, who then stormed out. Not very, he's known for his temper. Anyway, if that isn't distracting, in this clip, um, King John has come to unite, or try to unite, the armies of England to fight an invading French army. Um, Robin Hood, who hasn't yet been outlawed, speaks up about how to win the respect of the people. Was a bizarre accent, wasn't it? Who, just, who was more of a leader in that? King John promises the people a charter of freedom, but then when the risk to his kingdom has diminished, he breaks his promise. And unfortunately, it seems that, with a few exceptions, we often feel we can't trust authority. Politicians break their promises. We almost expect them to. The police break the law, as we've seen examples recently. Scandal, corruption or incompetence often surrounds those in authority. The historian Lord Acton once famously stated that power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Throughout the world, actually, kings and queens have been stripped of any real hereditary power these days, most of them. Dictators come, they rise up, but they ultimately tend to fall. And instead, we tend to these days favour the power of the people 
which in many countries is expressed as a democracy. But even then, we don't always like our leaders. Sometimes we just prefer them to the alternatives. How does our view of kings, rulers and authority affect our view of God? Right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we are told of God's creation of the world. This is the God of all time. The creator of the universe and now the creator of mankind, of earth and mankind. By his word, all things were created. He is the ruler, the original authority. If we believe that there is a God, then I think it is hard to argue that he doesn't have a legitimate claim to be king. The king. So that was God's role in the beginning. What was our role? In Genesis 1, it says, God blessed man and woman and said to them, Be fruitful and increasing number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Our role was actually pretty good in the beginning. God had created a perfect world, given mankind life, and then delegates authority to rule over the world to mankind. But as I'm sure you're aware, things don't stay perfect. The serpent, or Satan, convinces Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil against God's command. But let's not skip over Satan's role too quickly. Let's have a look at what he says. First of all, Satan asks Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan starts by twisting Eve's thinking of God. He lies, he slightly misquotes what God actually said. God allowed Adam and Eve to eat of any tree but one. A situation of freedom. Satan paints a picture of a restrictive God. A God who says, no, you can't. Eve, at this point, she clarifies, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. But Satan, in response, takes up this one thing that is not allowed and directly questions the truth of it. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan not only questions the truth of God's statement, but portrays God as an almost equal. Keeping man in his place, just keeping him down, just low enough to protect his own position. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Mankind swallowed Satan's lie and separation and death became the consequence for our disobedience towards God. So often we, we view authority with suspicion and we tend to strive to raise ourselves up as people and put ourselves in charge of our lives, of our countries, of this world, rather than God. We do the same with God. We, we want to rule our lives without him, or at least limit his influence and his acceptance of his authority over us. Or that we feel that we can now equal 
or even rival God. Now, Genesis gives an example, a story of this kind of thinking, the story of the Tower of Babel. You may have heard of it. Um, I don't know when you were last studied it. The nations come together and said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. What were they trying to prove in building up a great tower? Who were they trying to prove it to whom? It's like the people of Babel were literally trying to raise themselves up to the level of God, to make their name known, make their name foremost. And the tower crashed down around them. Sometimes I think with the ever-increasing knowledge and technology, the advances that are in our society, that our world sometimes feels that God is now irrelevant. I don't know if you feel that increasingly so. But just think how powerless we feel when the snow comes or the floods come. When electricity goes off for a couple of hours or even when maybe our mobile phone network goes down, suddenly we realise maybe we're not quite as powerful, maybe we're not quite um, in authority as maybe we thought we were of our own lives. Now we're going to do a slight diversion. Some of you may be thinking, does this fit with my personal interpretation of Genesis? Because it's one of those controversial subjects. You know, how do you view Genesis? One of the things I said is that there are going to be questions this course which you might want to discuss in your groups or in other weeks and this might be one of the areas you want to look at. But I'm just going to just shed brief light on what top theologians, not myself, and say the three widespread interpretations of creation and Genesis. The first is that there is a 24-hour view. A young earth created in just um, 144 consecutive hours. The second is a day-age view in which the earth was created over six periods of wider time. And the third is, the the Genesis 1 is just a literary expression of actual non-sequential creation events at some unknown time in history. But what I've said previously, does that fit with all three of these? Is this going to be an opposition to us understanding the story? I don't think it does make any difference. You see, God existed before creation of the world, before it happened in any way, and he created it. So he has a legitimate right to its rule. And then today, we're living in a world where something has happened, a fall from the original relationship with God, a world in which few acknowledge God as king. In addition, those who do acknowledge God as king often have a wrong understanding of what kind of king he is. So no, regardless of how you look at creation, just looking at what was before and after, there was a fall between, but the pattern still matches. So if God is a king, what kind of king is he? I don't know about you, but my view of our relationship with God has often been a bit like... There we go. A bit like this. Hierarchical. God's up there. We're moving through our lives God, with God telling us what to do and what not to do. When we come under attack, God looks down and may intervene, zapping down, quickly intervening in our lives, if he chooses. 
But that's not really the kind of relationship that the Bible describes. One night in my small group, we've been talking about a passage in Ephesians 6 of the New Testament, which talks about the armour of God. And it talks about a shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Well, I went home that night and I couldn't get the thought of shield out of my mind. It was just going over and over. I felt I had to go and look up in the Bible other instances of shield in the Bible. So I went to the concordance, the index at the back of my Bible, which tells you all the locations where you can find certain key words. So I looked it up. Shield. Shield. Ah, yes, shield. Had a lot of references in Psalm. Psalm 18, verse 3. The Lord is my shield. Okay, I thought that was good. Good start. Okay. But the study notes say, see note on verse, chapter 3, verse 3. Okay, so I went for Psalm 3. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. And as I read the verse 3 notes, it told me that the people of the Old Testament, for them, the word shield or protector was often interchangeable with God. That is how they viewed him, as a shield. So much so that they described their own kings as a shield. In Psalm 84, verse 9, it says, Look upon our shield, O God. Look upon with favour on your anointed one. That is David, King David. So it's referring to the human king of Jerusalem as a shield. Psalm 89, 18. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. Again, referring to a human king as a shield. See, the first model is quite wrong, this idea of a lofty, distant God. I think we've believed Satan's lies, and we often turn God into a distant, domineering, dictatorial God who tells us what to do. But if we're just the model to the one we read about in the Bible, then maybe it's slightly different. This is God, our king and protector. God is a king who is intimately involved in our lives and goes out ahead of us against the attacks. He is our defender. Now, we'll be returning to the idea of the shield in other weeks, but I'm just going to share a couple of thoughts on how a shield works. Just an example. I'm going to ask for Johnny. Where is he? My shield. In the way actually how a shield works. Now, rather unfortunately, Johnny's actually going to be Satan's attacks tonight. But uh, don't, take, don't take it personally, Johnny, okay? There's certain things we can learn about the way we, when we have a shield and we're using it when it's ahead of us and it's going to protect us. If we are in life just standing still and attacks come, attacks can come, John. Pathetic creature, I want to <laughs> If we're standing still... <laughs> We get knocked back, don't we? It gets even worse. If we have a shield, but we are actually retreating with the shield and the attacks come. I will never again. <laughs> then it's even worse. We're going backwards. The shield protects us to some extent, but it knocks us back. But if when we have the shield ahead of us, we are moving forward with it, we see what happens. Got 
<laughs> Thank you very much, Johnny. I don't know whether it will be good and we'll learn anything, but maybe we should just do that every week just to knock Johnny down. <laughs> just bear that in mind. Your relationship with a God who is your shield makes a difference to your Christian walk. It's just a picture for you to take away on that. But the start of Genesis tells a story of mankind's relationship with God being destroyed. How do we get from this point of view where we've had the creation, the fall, and we're in this situation, how do we get back to a right relationship with God? Well, luckily this isn't the end of the Bible, it's just the start. Just to tease you for next week and where we're going. In Genesis 12, God chooses to make a pledge, a starting point, a fresh point to a man called Abram. Later be known, he renamed him to be Abraham. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's through Abraham. God had already started his plan to restore the people of the earth to a right relationship with him. Over the coming weeks, we're going to be learning more about God, the King, and we will see his plan worked out through the Old and then the New Testament. That is the story of the Bible. It is a story of God's kingdom. So I leave you, just as we're going to go into discussion time, with a question. I'm going to ask one each, each week. The question I leave you with this week is, what kind of relationship do you want with God? Okay, so I have no idea what time it is now. It's uh, 10 to it's really 10 to 9. Okay, and you'd like to finish at? 9.30. Okay. We have, um, I have some discussion questions for, I'll give to one person in each group. Um, I'll give it to one person and if you don't want it, pass it to someone else who you think would like, like to go through them. Um, into your groups, yeah. Um, so we've got some dis- questions here, but also just feel free to talk about anything that's been spoken about tonight. Um, and it would be great if you could save yourself five, ten minutes at the end just to pray over anything that you have talked about or heard about tonight.